Dear Lord and Father, we, uh, we do thank you now for this space in which you have us, uh, for the ways that you have led us to be part of this church community um, and on this weekend away. We thank you for this space. Uh, we thank you for those who have provided uh, this campsite for us. Thank you for the chairs that we have, the music, all the good things that you give us. And we thank you for your word as well. That speaks into our life and into our world with true wisdom. So, Lord, I pray that uh, this morning and through this weekend, we may reflect upon your wisdom and that it may become our own. So, please help us uh, through your Spirit in this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, in the words of Ian Proven, who is a professor of biblical studies at Regent College in Vancouver... He says, make no mistake about it, Ecclesiastes is an unsettling book. Uh, Ecclesiastes is an unsettling book. Um, I think just like we all love the beauty of a well-designed snow globe, you know, the mini landscape uh, being blanketed in snow, uh, we also recognize that the only way you reach that beautiful little picture is by shaking it up. You have to shake up the snow globe before you can actually see its beauty. And so it is with this Old Testament book. Uh, It does have a powerful message, encouraging each one of us into what I I think it considers beautiful lives. But to get there, it needs to shake us up a little bit. Uh, Like all wisdom literature, this book uh, will will remain confusing and inaccessible to the casual reader. Uh, just like, I think, the parables of Jesus. Uh, If you want a quick fix and an immediate answer, this book is probably not for you. Uh, Wisdom literature needs to be inhabited. Uh, It's like a new pair of jeans. You need to try it on and you need to live in it for a week, a month, a year. It's like Werther's original. You know, you need to, to suck on it and take time in consumption rather than just crunching it and devouring it in five seconds. And so, for the casual reader of Ecclesiastes, this book can appear depressing, hedonistic, and without hope. But I want to suggest that for one who is willing to to live in it, to wear it, to roll it around your mouth, uh, this text has a message that is both positive and even joyful. So why don't we begin reading, verse 1 starts with this line, it says, the words of the teacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. Now traditionally people have attributed this text to the third king of Israel, who was King Solomon, Uh, and this makes total sense, Solomon wrote a huge chunk of Proverbs, he was said to have been gifted with great wisdom, and the opening sentences seem to indicate that Solomon, the son of King David, wrote this book. And so, this could turn out to be true, there'd be no problem with it, Uh, but for a whole bunch of reasons, both inside and outside the text, uh, many people have questioned the authorship of King Solomon, Uh, and I think the truth is, we simply don't know exactly with great certainty who the author of Ecclesiastes was, and so, through our weekend together, I'm going to assume that the author of Ecclesiastes is simply a wise teacher who has an incredibly important message for us to grapple with, to shake us up, 
and perhaps create something beautiful. The opening refrain of Ecclesiastes gives us, I think, the big idea. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. How's that for a start to a book? It's a little depressing, but a closer look at the language is very helpful for us here. A closer look at the language will help us out because uh, this word meaningless that opens up this book of Ecclesiastes is the Hebrew word uh, havel, um, which the author repeats over and over through this whole book, havel. Other translations use vanity, vanity, futility, futility. Uh, It's pretty important to get this word right because it will be a refrain throughout the entire book. Uh, The word havel means mist, vapour or smoke. Uh, This is why I've got this little fellow here. Um, This is, uh, we have this at home and Naomi and I have named him Havel uh, because (laughs) what what is coming out of the top here is literally Havel. This is the word that the author uses at the start of Ecclesiastes. Uh, mist, um, vapour, smoke. Uh, It is, in fact, the name of Abel in the Genesis 4 story. Uh, And I take it because Abel was here one day and gone tomorrow, killed by his brother Cain, uh, Havel. In the New Testament, James writes, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then are gone. Um, Havel, mist, fleeting, transient. Um, Other features of this word, and you can just use your imagination because that's what wisdom, literature and poetry asks you to do. Um, Other features of this word, mist or vapour, it's hard to grasp, Um, it's difficult to hang on to, Uh, it's elusive, Uh, perhaps it's hard to understand. Havel. And so I think uh, the translators in the NIV uh, have gone a little too hard with their use of the word meaningless, because that's, that's a, there's a lot of value-laden language in that. Perhaps a better opening translation to Ecclesiastes, and this refrain will go through the whole book, uh, would read something like this, mist and vapour, mist and vapour, things don't last and things are hard to understand. Mist and vapour, mist and vapour, things don't last and things are hard to understand. I wonder if this changes your view of Ecclesiastes from the get-go, from that initial refrain, because this is the refrain that runs through our whole wisdom text for the weekend. And if the big observation of Ecclesiastes is mist and vapour, things do not last and they are hard to understand then the big question comes in verse 3 of chapter 1. What do people gain from all their labour under the sun? Uh, Right up front and for the rest of the book, the author asks the question most of us ask ourselves, probably when we have time to reflect, what am I actually gaining or profiting or benefiting from my life? And it's a question that the book of Ecclesiastes will give a very difficult answer to. 
Uh, for it's going to suggest that when we ask the question, what am I gaining from my life? We are not only asking the wrong question, but it suggests an entire stance towards life that is actually way off base. We see this in the poem that follows in verse 3 to 7. Uh, it's a poem that presents a purposeful inefficiency in our world. Uh, the teacher notices that things just go round and round in circles. Uh, it's what the sun appears to do, it's what the wind does, it's what the water does. And I think the key to unlocking this poem is grasping not just the words, but the tone of this little poem in chapter 1. Um, Old Testament lecturer Kirk Patson notes that these words used in verse 3 to 7 show language that is actually both uh, vivid and active. That is, this is a poem expressing both wonder and joy. Isn't it amazing that the sun rises and sets each day? Isn't it mysterious that the wind blows here and there and everywhere and is just so uncontrollable? Isn't it incredible that water flows down from the mountains and into the sea and then it rises up into the clouds and rains and falls back on the mountains again? Provided, of course, we don't ask, yes, but what's the net gain from this enterprise? If we don't ask what is gained, we can simply sit back and say, wow, that, that's beautiful. But don't we think going around and around in circles is a bit inefficient? You know, we live in a world that loves productivity and efficiency and economic reports on things, don't we? Imagine a Senate inquiry that noted wind velocity and direction over the past 10 years has not significantly increased despite years of practice. <laughs> and politicians and industry leaders are surprised by the inefficient evidence in these results and they're going to fund another inquiry into productivity gains in air movement. You know, that's absurd, isn't it? Because that's not how our world works. But it's often how we want our lives to work. But it's not how our world works. When God set up the rhythms of creation, the wind, the sun, the rain, He didn't seem to have gain in mind at all. The Scriptures suggest these cycles and rhythms are in fact evidence of God's grace. And so in verse 8, the writer turns to consider how we as humans interact with the cycles of God's created world. And it's interesting to note that the Hebrew word for things in verse 8 can also be translated words. Uh, all words are wearisome more than one can say. So, it might be a better translation because more than one can say would fit with the concept, all words are wearisome. Uh, I think he's turning his attention to speech and the teacher is starting to reflect on how we human beings talk about and understand the world. And so, you could summarise the second half of chapter one like this, uh, while the non-human creation goes vividly around in its cycles... Humans, instead, we create conversations and questions that kind of miss the point and therefore are wearisome. We chatter about our plans 
we chatter about this great new thing we've discovered. We, we talk things up in a way that doesn't actually match reality and think of any advertising you have ever seen. What causes the weariness? Well, it's not the cycles of nature. Rather, it's all our words and it's our opinions and it's our chatter, chatter, chatter. It's, they are trying to give us a sense of control over our world and convince us that actually all things are new. I'm going to put a new extension on the house and then things will be better. I'm going to buy a new summer wardrobe and then I'll be at peace. Hey, I found a new job. Have you seen that new app? Have you got that recent Spotify update? Have you seen my new management structure that will revolutionize work? Have you heard about sugar-free, low carbs, no carbs? Uh, but it's not new, is it? And even if it is, it's probably not going to last. And you kind of know that that new summer wardrobe is probably not the gain that you were really looking for. The writer of this ancient text has something incredibly important for you and I to absorb and to understand, especially in our fast-paced world. Uh, but first he has to shake us up a little bit. And indeed, the great shake-up of Ecclesiastes is the honest reflection that as humans, we are often caught in a fantasy, a fantasy world trying to play God. We delude ourselves into thinking we can control the uncontrollable. Uh, we fantasize about being the creator rather than accepting our creatureliness. And thus, we build our entire lives on the question, what can I gain? But in doing so, we may miss the reality of our existence, which is one founded not on gain, but rather on the receiving of gifts. I found this gift versus gain framework a very helpful one to employ as I meditate on the book of Ecclesiastes. But of course, we're only in chapter one of our journey, aren't we? And the teacher of Ecclesiastes is going to take us on his journey, his own experiment into the search for life and meaning. And so we go with him to see if life really could be all about gain. And this is what chapter two is about that Michelle read for us. The teacher, as an experiment, he goes on a gain project. And as such, he seeks to find life and meaning in the gaining of pleasure through wine, laughter, folly, then the gaining of properties through business ventures, wealth, status, uh, then the gaining of knowledge and wisdom through academics and ivory towers. And to be fair, it sounds like he was pretty successful in his endeavours. But what was the consequences of this dogged pursuit of gain? In verse 17, he says, I hated life. And verse 20, my heart began to despair. Why did this gain project fail? Well, because he found everything he gained was Havel. It, it was mist, it was vapour, it was, verse 17, like a chasing after the wind. Nothing really lasted. And even those things that did last, eventually needed to be passed on to someone else. Perhaps this has been your experience in some form. And inside, your heart is nodding with the teacher in Ecclesiastes. 
Um, as I reflect on the holiday break that Naomi and I went on recently, um, Havel comes to mind. Um, not because it was bad, it wasn't. We had a great break. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. Um, but it's gone. Mist and vapour. Mist and vapour. Things don't last. And things really are hard to understand. Or perhaps you find this reflection perhaps a little offensive or just weird. Um, Perhaps right now you're in the middle of your own gain project that you are certain is going to make life better. And talk of Havel kind of bursts your bubble a little bit. But whatever it is, notice the teacher's conclusion at the end of his gain project in verse 24. He says, there's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, enjoy their work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from Him? To the person who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, happiness. But to the sinner, He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is mist and vapour, a chasing after the wind. Now, while this may all sound a bit pitiful and you may well be thinking, well, I can do a lot more than just eat and drink and work, can't I? I think you'll find the teacher is saying, a person can do nothing better than let God be their generous creator. A person can do nothing better than to accept the gifts of God. Uh, There is a madness that we'll read all the way through Ecclesiastes, which descends when we uh, forget our place in the universe. Uh, When we think it all rests on our shoulders. When we think that a life of gain really is a pathway to meaning when we cut across the cyclic creation God has made, living in opposition to it, thinking we will do it our way, and the gain we are aiming at really will fulfill us. But there is a joy and there is a wisdom when we understand that we are part of God's rhythmic creation. And so we look for that which is good. Uh, We are thankful for His provision and we take joy in receiving His grace and His goodness and also His timing. Perhaps that is what Jesus is talking about when He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So what are we to do with opening chapters like this one in Ecclesiastes? Well, firstly, uh, we accept that we are now in the realm of wisdom literature. And... It's a little more odd and unsettling than perhaps we'd like to admit. But the shaking of the snow globe is good. It's there to produce beauty. 
And I think it can be too easy for us to discard this text by saying, well, if, if nothing lasts, what's the point of doing anything? But the power of Ecclesiastes is that it actually slows us down, which is great to read on a weekend away like this, and it says, hey, you know nothing lasts. I'm just pointing out what you already know. So why are you living as if it does? Why are you banking all your hope on that new job, that new sweater, that new relationship, that new holiday? Uh, There is a genuine pain that arrives the moment you accept the reality of the life you actually have. It's the shaking of the snow globe. But in wisdom literature, uh, it's the fool who lives in fantasy. And it is the wise who embrace things as they really are. Ecclesiastes has something really powerful to speak into our lives. Our clumsy, up and down, uncertain, anxious, all too often frenetic lives. But first, the teacher calls us to drop the charade, drop pretending that we are in total control, drop the fantasy that says we can completely dictate the course of our life, drop the obsession with gain. Uh, You and I live in a beautifully inefficient world. It's been given to us by God as a sign of His grace along with a thousand other things. And in this world, to ask, what can I gain? It's just out of place. It will lead to frustration, despair, a chasing after the wind. But to enjoy what God has given, uh, to enjoy His grace, to be thankful for His provision, to trust in His plans... There is a wisdom here that the teacher of Ecclesiastes wants you and I to experience on a daily basis. And it's true of everything. Uh, To come away this weekend, for a weekend away with our church family, it would be inappropriate to think, what could I gain from this weekend? But perhaps you could flip it to say, what may I receive from God? this weekend. I won't gain anything, I won't seek to gain anything myself, but what may I receive? What may God have for me in the opportunity to hear from His Word, in the opportunity to be a friend or to deepen a friendship with someone else or to receive a friendship? Not what do I gain from this weekend, but what may I receive from God in His plans for our time away? It's a beautiful framework, but it's completely in opposition to our productive, efficiency-driven lifestyles. And uh, I think that is why we need God's Word, to speak into our life with wisdom and truth. Uh, Make no mistakes about it, Ian Proven said, Ecclesiastes is an unsettling book. Um, But if we are willing to just stick with it and to keep reading it, and to ask God to help us to show us what He wants us to know, then there is great wisdom and there is great joy that comes from it.
So I'm going to pray and ask that God may help. I think the prayer is that God may help us just to like settle down into this book of the Bible and maybe just take a deep breath out, even just today and tomorrow, and just let the words of it soak into our minds and hearts. So I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. So let's pray. Our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this particular book of the Bible, this word to us. Uh, in many ways, it's really a pointer to the greatest wisdom teacher, which is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Himself. But Lord, we understand that to receive from You, we really do need to sink down into this book. Uh, so Lord, I pray that You will prepare our hearts and minds in these coming hours and day. We might just sit and receive from You these words and that you might, in your wisdom and through your spirit, make sense of these words for our life, both individually and also collectively as a church family. So please guide us in this, and we do thank you for your daily gifts that we have even received today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.